Welcome to the Toxin Terminator, helping people to restore and renew their health by removing the toxins from the home and their lives. Join in as industry thought leaders help you understand the physical and emotional effects these products can have on you and your family, and the safe alternatives you can use to remove the hidden toxins for renewed health. Now, please welcome your host, the Toxin Terminator herself, Amy Carlson. 60% of people are suffering from a chronic disease today. There are five main sources in our home that are contributing to those chronic diseases. And most people have no idea that they're using materials within their homes that are actually making them sick. What if you could clean your home safely? You could have easy to make recipes with items you already have, and you could make a few small changes to get yourself on that path to wellness. In my course, I'll show you how to detox each and every room of your house and create a healthy home environment. So let's just dive right in and, and let's talk about what you're seeing in your practice on the current state of the health of the nation, um, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, what kinds of things are you noticing when you're working with your clients? Yeah, so gosh, you know, I work with all sorts of, of people out there who have had breast implants for one, re one, one reason or another. Right. Um, and, you know, well, when we're thinking about wellness, it's really, you know, the, the pursuit of continued growth and balance. Um, throughout the different dimensions of health, which you just mentioned, which are the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, all of them are so important, right? right. So you can't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as far as physical health, you know, R1, what I call R1 um, of restoring health is removing the source or the sources that are, that are causing disease or dysfunction in the body. Um, and my clients um, are, are becoming aware of the types of things that lead to disease. And a huge step that they're taking to get their health back is removing their breast implants. Right. So there are many other things that need to be addressed as well, other sources of toxicity, but um, that is a big, huge first step that a lot of women are taking that I'm seeing. Okay. Um, but I am seeing that women are not necessarily, you know, exercising the way, the right way for their body or for their current condition, okay. or maybe they're not exercising at all. And we really need to be meeting our bodies where they're at rather than pushing them so hard that we feel terrible the next day, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And for some people, for some people that might just mean simply going for a walk outside right. or doing some gentle yin yoga. Right. Um, and that's enough. And the important thing is to just move your body. Right. So, um, and then, you know, I also see clients coming to me for help who don't really know um, what kind of diet is right for them. Mm. You know, they're following, what this person or that person said is the right way to eat without really being in tune with what their specific body needs or wants. Um, and we need proper nutrition in order to heal, but what works for one person can be detrimental for another. Right. Right. Um, and then most people really aren't getting enough sleep or good quality sleep. So in my book, sleep is number one for mm -hmm. the physical side of health. Um, it's more important than anything else. If you're not sleeping, you're not detoxing, you're not regenerating your body, you're not processing um, different stressors that you've experienced throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, discovering breast implant illness typically leads to developing better healthy habits 
Right. But sometimes it takes some education to get there. Right. And then for emotional health, I would say, you know, the emotional, emotional wellness is really, it's a dynamic state that fluctuates um, frequently. So mm -hmm. in order to be emotionally well, we really need to feel and express our emotion. Right. And it means having the ability to love and be loved and mm -hmm. achieving a sense of fulfillment in life. Mm -hmm. um, and emotional wellness really it encompasses optimism. It encompasses self-esteem and self-acceptance and the ability to share your feelings. And so the women that I see and, and talk with, um, they're really starting to wake up to this yeah. and returning to that place of self-love and self-acceptance and self-forgiveness, which is huge, right? Right. Um, and so they're tuning into their, to their thoughts and their feelings and sharing, you know, their, those things with others. Um, right. And they're seeking support. And I see that a lot of these women have hope, which is right. crucial. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so what I see most often that needs work in this, um, in the emotional wellness aspect is stress management. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this need that women have today to always be doing for others at the sacrifice of themselves and their own health is pervasive. And mm -hmm. we have this instinct as women to care for our families. Right. Um, and what we need to understand is that we can't really take good care of others if we don't take care of ourselves first. Right. Um, and that's why they always tell people, you know, on a plane to put your own oxygen mask on first before you try and help someone else, because we can't help other people if we don't help ourselves first. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, most women these days are just rushing around from one thing to the next, always saying yes to everything, being everything to everyone and never really taking the time to be in the moment or mm -hmm. reflect on what she needs. Mm -hmm. Um and there's so many different distractions distractions in the world mm -hmm. um, today that we're living in that cause us to lose sight of what really matters most. Right. Do you feel like that, that women are have a difficult time setting healthy boundaries? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's kind of what what I classify as as this rushing woman syndrome, and that is actually a book um, that mm -hmm. I read a long time ago. Um, and it, it's it's really true. I mean, we are just like I said, always saying yes, always doing everything that the other people need us to do and not really knowing when to say no and when to draw the line mm -hmm. um, and allowing other people to impact how we feel and how we think and the way we do things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's definitely an issue. Where do you think that comes from? Do you think it's an innate quality in women or, or is this something that we're learning? I think it's probably a little bit of both, you know, mm -hmm. because I think we have that instinct to want to do things for other people. We're the mm -hmm. caretakers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. However, I think that we're also, you know, taught that this is, uh, our, you know, a female role as mm -hmm. well. And that we, you know, um, aren't really expanding beyond that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this, you know, goes back to our spiritual beliefs as well about who we are mm -hmm. and what our, what our goals in life are and what we hope to achieve in life and what our purpose here on this planet is. Right, right, right. And I think, you know, we, we grow up with this ideal, and at least I did, that, you know, in order to be a good mom, a good wife, a good yeah. neighbor, a good, you know, whatever that is, that you were involved and you, you know, you spread yourself thin. 
And, yes. and so, okay. So if, if that, and that again, ties back to these healthy boundaries, I think that is one of those areas for women, if we can really identify and get into how to set those healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. um, you know, well, we can come back to it. Just remind me about, you know, the boundaries when we come back, but so we're, we're figuring out all of these things. Um, with the women of, of always saying yes, and we mm-hmm. see this, you know, throughout. So how do we, how does the body work when we are in that mode of operating? What does mm-hmm. that do to our body? Well, you know, I think that is um, a chronic source of stress that right. triggers, you know, it, it stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So you're always, if you're always going, 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 always overdoing it, spreading yourself really thin and stretching the boundaries of what you're capable of, then you never really allow your body to rest and recover mm-hmm. and support that sympathetic nervous system. And then you become more sympathetic dominant. Um, and that puts you in sympathetic overdrive and that can lead to disease in the body. Right. So that's really, really important to have that good balance where you're doing things to support the parasympathetic system, um, and having a nice balance so that at the end of the day, you know, you've got a lot of things accomplished, but you've also done the the necessary things to continue to support your own body. Right. And and so would one of those things, you know, to help create that healing environment in our body be that detox process? Yes. So I definitely think that is, like I said, it's part of R1, which is removing the source. So not only are the women that I see, you know, removing their breast implants, which is a a physical source, Mm -hmm. but we're also working on removing the bioaccumulated source of toxicity that is you know, in the tissues and in the cells and the organs that are impacting function. And so that is a chronic source of stress that needs to be addressed as well for healing, because the three biggest things that create chronic illness in today's world are toxicity, infections, and different types of traumas. Right. So that can be mental, emotional, that can be physical, that can be structural, chemical traumas. There's a lot of different types of traumas. Right. So those are the things that are making us sick today. So we definitely mm. have to address toxicity for sure. Oh, so let's talk a little bit about that bioaccumulation. So you you were discussing how the bioaccumulation is found, or or maybe I'm putting words out there, but this is something where we're we're getting it accumulated in our organs. It's accumulating right. inside the body um, instead of being dispelled out the body. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, whatever our liver can't acutely deal with, our body will store to protect us. Mm -hmm. And we store toxins and and heavy metals in our fat and in our bone. And, you know, our brains are 70% fat. So we end up with a lot of neurotoxic symptoms like brain fog and poor word recall and difficulty learning new information, forgetfulness, um, you know, numbness and tingling in the extremities, nerve pain, headaches, migraines, all those things are due to neurotoxicity. So, you know, our body is just trying to protect us from that exposure by, you know, shoving it in the fat cells. Right. <laughs> right. That's very interesting with the, the brain being 70% fat. And, and then the, the things that you're describing, because I've heard some studies and maybe you might, you know, if you, if you deal a lot with detox that they've actually been able to reverse um, Alzheimer's and dementia type 
symptoms by removing the toxins from the body. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I've seen studies like that as well. And it is absolutely the case. I have seen it time and time again, even with women who are struggling with a lot of these types of symptoms that maybe even look like Alzheimer's. Right. Um, because a lot of things can, you know, a lot of symptoms can cross a lot of different lines of diagnoses. Right. right. So we don't always know if we're tr- getting a true diagnosis to begin with. Right. So yeah, a lot of these things just start to disappear, you know, um, brain clarity starts coming back, mental sharpness starts coming back, people can remember things, remember words, remember names, mm-hmm. um, and they don't forget where they put their car, you know, where they park their car when they go into the store, um, things like that. I just had a client that I spoke with recently who was, um, when we first started working together, she drove to the store like five times because each time she was driving, she forgot where she was going. And would drive, turn around, drive back home. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just changes so much changes when you start detoxing. Right. Well, and this, this leads me to another point is I hear because of the age that I am that, oh, when you reach a certain age, you're just going to have that loss of memory. You're just going to have that loss of focus. You're just going to have that lack of sleep. Do you think that we see this in society where, you know, just because the vast majority of people might have this, that somehow we're accepting this as normal? Absolutely. Yeah. And I hear that all the time, especially when I worked in the conventional, a conventional medical field, um, where a lot of my colleagues would just say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, reporting off their symptoms and saying, oh, but this is normal. Everybody has this, you know, even within the medical community, that's the belief. Right. Um, (laughs) um, But it's simply not true. You know, if our bodies are functioning optimally, we should be able to age well and gracefully and without a lot of pain and suffering and symptoms. And it's as we go through life and we're living in the most toxic time known to man. Um, As we continue to go through life, we accumulate more and more toxicity. And the, the Western American diet is becoming more Mm. and more toxic and Mm -hmm. inflammatory. And I think those things combined just create a lot of brain and nervous system inflammation, which is where you get a lot of these aging symptoms from. Not necessarily that you're there's a result of the aging, but just a result of the process of living on this planet for a longer and longer time and accumulating more and more toxicity. Right. And then not having the proper tools in order to detox the body. So um, I love that we touched on the neurotoxicity. I've even seen studies where with kids who have um, even autism on, you know, different places on the spectrum, attention deficit disorders, those type of things, when the toxins were removed from their bodies, from their environment, they uh, made outstanding standing leaps and bounds um, you know with these children it it just has been incredible to watch that learn the five pillars of living a toxin-free lifestyle so that you can prevent chronic disease reverse chronic disease and renew your focus energy and live a long healthy life my brand new book the toxin terminator a bestseller is now available and it's going to walk you down the path of a toxin-free lifestyle and give you the tools to detox and cleanse your life and environment as well as share the stories of so many who have struggled with their health just like you and me grab your copy at www.aimeecarlson.com that's just amycarlson.com 
let's talk about creating that healing environment. So we talk about, you know, we know we're accumulating this, these toxins over time. So what do we do to detox our body? I wanted to, I want to come at it from just a, an overall detox. And then I want to very much dive into the breast implant and what that looks like in our body too. Sure. Sure. So, um, like I mentioned before, you know, removing the source is so important, Mm -hmm. um, because if we're trying to detox the body, but that source of chronic exposure is still there, you'll never truly heal. Um, and you could even become a lot worse. Um, so things like the breast implants, of course, things Mm -hmm. like amalgam fillings, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes even crowns will have amalgam underneath them. Mm-hmm. Um, things like toxic mold in the home, root canals, you know, toxic mm-hmm. air that you're breathing in the home, toxic water that you're drinking, toxic products that you're using at home, all of those things need to be um, addressed. So either mm-hmm. swapped out for more safe products or, um, you know, uh, you know, good air filtration, good water filtration, mm-hmm. getting amalgams removed properly, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, detoxing the body, really the thing that, that most people are misinformed about is that food can detox the body, like, you know, um, celery juicing and chlorella and cilantro and things like that, which, you know, are superfoods. However, Mm -hmm. they're not going to bind onto toxins inside your cells and hold on long enough to get them out of the body. Okay. So then people can actually end up with auto intoxication, which is where you're re just kind of street sweeping basically rather than removing. Okay. Um, so just kind of moving toxins around and they actually can get driven deeper into the brain when that happens. Mm. Um, so that can make someone feel significantly worse. Mm. So and in the- really I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But so if that happens, it's because you're not using the proper things to actually get the toxins out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So using true, strong oral chelators, I would mm-hmm. even call them, mm-hmm. which are strong binders that you take orally, um, is a really safe and effective way of removing toxins from the body if you're using those things within their half-life, which means that different compounds last for a certain amount of time in the body. That's their half-life. And then at that point, they slowly stop working. Right. Um, and so we need to use things within that time span. Otherwise, you end up with that recirculating issue that's at that point as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, really understanding those things and making sure you're doing that safely and appropriately is really important, while also making sure you're supporting the downstream detoxification pathways. Right. Because if your gut, if you're, if you're not having regular bowel movements, Mm -hmm. if your kidneys and liver are shut down or Mm -hmm. congested, if your Mm -hmm. lymphatic system isn't flowing well, Mm -hmm. um, or is, you know, sticky and sluggish, Mm -hmm. um, if your methylation, you know, isn't working well, things like that are so crucial. So if you're starting upstream first in the cells and pulling out toxins, but your downstream pathways aren't working, they're not going to get out. Um, so we have to start there, start downstream, open those pathways and then go upstream and start pulling toxins out. Well, and that makes complete sense to me, you know, in order to, to do that. I've always, I've often heard of cleansing and that, you know, before you start cleansing, you want to make sure that the liver, you know, is functioning, that the gut health is functioning. If you're not having bowel movements once a day, you don't want to get yourself into doing any type of cleanse because you're not going to get rid of the, the products that you need to be getting rid of out of your body. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the breast implants, because I think, um, you know, how many women out in our world today have them? Do you even know what the number is? Oh, gosh, I don't know what the number is, but I do know that the last time I looked, it was around 300,000 women every year within the U.S. are getting breast implants placed. That may be different now. That was, you know, I the study that I sh- that I saw on that was several years ago. Okay. So it may be a little different now. What I'm actually seeing is that for every one person that's getting breast implants placed, two women are getting them removed. Yeah, I, I think the message is starting to get out there. Now, is there a, a particular type of breast implant that is worse than the other, or are just none? You know. There's different types of breast implants. There's right. silicone, there's saline, and silicone, the, the, the silicone that's on the market now is cohesive gel, mm-hmm. which was released in, I believe, 2006 or 2005. And that was after the whole Dow Corning you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. lawsuit and that be, those, t- those being taken off the market. Um, the cohesive gel are sticky, right? So they're right. not liquid. Um, right. So if they rupture, they're not going to just go flooding through the body. Right. Um, however, they have never been tested for safety. They've never been tested for, um, you know, to determine how safe they are at body temperature. Because when you right. heat up plastic, what happens? Right. It, it starts it, to leach out chemicals. Right. 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 And that's the same thing with the silicone implants. We know that gel bleed happens upon implantation. So when you heat up that implant, it starts to kind of bleed its contents out into the, the body. And there's so much lymphatic tissue there around mm-hmm. the breasts and the armpits. Mm-hmm. And so that allows for, it's like a highway system, right? It mm-hmm. just allows for all of those chemicals to spread and cause a lot of problems. And then silicone has actually been called an adjuvant in the development of certain connective tissue autoimmune diseases, which means that it is a trigger. Mm. So that's a big problem because saline and silicone breast implants both have silicone. Right. So the saline have a silicone shell. Uh, and yeah. And some of that will slough off into the system over time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem with saline implants is that they have what's supposed to be a one-way valve that allows the surgeon to fill the implant with saline mm-hmm. after they're placed. However, that valve can become damaged over mm-hmm. time or it can be defective upon implantation. And in that case, you have the ability for bodily fluids and the saline to go back and forth. Mm. Right. And so that allows for bacteria and fungus, mold, things like that to get inside the implant. And that can become a petri dish. Right. These microbes are just allowed to thrive and grow and, and release lots of toxins into your body. So we know living in a moldy home is not safe, right? right? That's dangerous to your health. But imagine that living in your body and you can't escape it. Right. there every day. Right. <laughs> you, know, you can move out of your house. <laughs> right. Right. But you can't, you can't just automatically get the implant. <laughs> you can't out. move out of your body. Right. No, so, body. and I had heard that too, that, that even if you have a saline implant, that the shell is still silicone. It doesn't right. matter, you know, so you're still getting that at that exposure. So what kinds of symptoms are women going to be, or could, you know, be experiencing if, you know, their implants are an issue for them. 
Yeah. So it's so, there's so many different symptoms that are possible. And so that makes it really challenging when women are struggling and trying to figure out what's wrong. Right. Because they end up getting misdiagnosed a lot of the right. time. Right. Um, so people can, re- people will report chronic fatigue, cognitive dysfunction, like brain fog, difficulty mm-hmm. concentrating, or word retrieval, memory loss, things like that, muscle aches and pains, joint pain, hair loss, weight gain, weight loss. Um, temperature intolerance, low libido, ringing in the ears, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, metallic taste in the mouth, night sweats, skin rashes, insomnia, hormone imbalances. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the list just keeps going on and on and right. on. Right. So it, it's really, really a wide range of symptoms. Right. So basically, you've got a toxin in your body. So any symptom that could be related to you're in toxic overload, that's, you know, what you're going to be experiencing with that. Um, What what is the process? So if if a woman believes that this is something that is that is damaging to their body, what's the process that they need to go through then? So, yeah, if you feel like this is an answer for you, if this just is a light bulb turning on in your mind, mm-hmm. um, then the first thing that I would suggest is getting on to a couple of different websites and really doing your research on surgeons, because you mm-hmm. want to interview a few different surgeons to really find the one that you feel confident in right. and comfortable with, because it it's a really personal choice and it is um, it needs to be done right, right. the first time. Right, right. <laughs> so... Um, there are a couple of websites that you can go to. My favorite is breastimplantillness.com because um, there really isn't a lot of bias there. It's a list of surgeons that's really based on people's experiences throughout the past decade mm-hmm. um, and what they're reporting about the surgeon. And so there's a list of like, I think maybe six top recommended surgeons for explant. And the top surgeons are going to guarantee you that the explant is done correctly, which is the correct way to get them out is via on block resection, which is the implant and the capsule around the implant coming out together as one unit, rather than having the capsule cut open and pulling the implant out and then either leaving the capsule behind in the body or maybe removing it separately. So the reason that's important is because if you happen to have a rupture, you may not know until that capsule is cut open. And then at that point, all of that, the contents are spilling into the body and the lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's important to protect yourself against that. So on block and then going back in at the surgeon, going back in and removing every speck of that capsule, because it's another source of inflammatory tissue right. that triggers an immune response. Right. And it can also contain all those different toxins within its matrix and harbor bacteria. Right. So we want to get all that out. Um, none of that really belongs there. Um, and so that's called um, a capsulectomy. Okay. And most surgeons will not do that. So you really have to find one who is confident um, in their skills for mm-hmm. capsulectomy because it's a very highly skilled surgery um, and technique. And there's a risk involved, you know, mm-hmm. there's when, especially when the implant is placed below the muscle, mm-hmm. it's right over the heart, it's right over that the lung. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the times that capsule will be adhered and stuck to the rib cage. Mm. And that requires going in and scraping or cauterizing um, to get that capsule off. And that there's um, really thin layer of tissue in between those ribs. And that's just, that's all you've got between the ribs and the, and the lungs. So there's always a risk of puncturing the lung. 
Mm. Um, and so someone needs to be very skilled to do that properly. Mm. That's kind of scary, you know, but, but obviously, you know, we've got fantastic surgeons and, you know, skill level. So would your, um, opinion because this is an area that's of expertise for you be listen if if you're a woman with implants it's just not made to be in the body you're better off a don't get it in the first place and b if you have it get it get it explanted yeah i i I definitely agree with that because in my opinion it's like a ticking time bomb right so i don't think from my perspective i don't think that women are are developing chronic illness solely because of their breast implants. I think it's a part of the picture. So if we consider it from that perspective, why wait until it becomes part of your problem? Right, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But, you know, that's kind of how, you know, society seems to operate so many times is we, you know, wait until there's a a problem that we have to solve or, you know, get a solution for, why be proactive? Um, You know, and that's why we do things like what we're doing right now, with the summit is to give people yeah. the tools so that you can be pre, uh, proactive and not reactive um, right. w- with your health. So I think that's fantastic. So many of my speakers and you know, they do what they do because they've got a personal story. Um, you know, they've been through an issue and it's it's really made them very unique in their field because they can really connect with their clients. And, and I'm wondering if you have that same story. Absolutely. You know, I, I always say this has been this has been an, a really incredible journey. It's also been a, a pain to purpose journey for me mm-hmm. Yeah. because, you know, what my breast implants, what getting my breast implants and becoming sick has taught me is how I should be living. Right. Right. Um, so for that, I'm so grateful for this experience. I'm even grateful for the pain that I've been through because right. it's been purposeful. Right. Um, but, you know, my story really started, I think, when I was very young and mm-hmm. um, someone really important in my life told me that, um, you know, I was going to be four eleven, four foot eleven, just like her, but mm-hmm. not to worry because I would have the Johnson boobs. Um, and so for me, that really planted the seed when I was mm-hmm. very young, that breast, large breasts are important, mm-hmm. an important part of womanhood, an important part of your identity, mm-hmm. an important part of being attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that really set the stage for me eventually getting these breast implants when I didn't develop the way that I was told I was going to. Right. <laughs> and right. it meant that I needed to worry, you know, because I didn't develop that way. Right. Um, so it really created a sense of uh, low self-esteem mm-hmm. and low self-worth mm-hmm. because I felt that my worth re- revolved around what I looked like on the outside. Right. Um, and so that led to me getting breast implants around 30 years old. And roughly around six months later, I started developing symptoms and my health just continued to deteriorate. You know, I started off with hypothyroid symptoms um, of, you know, fatigue and, um, insomnia and hair loss and bloating and puffiness and, um, hormone imbalances. And from there, it just continued to get worse. And I started having gas and bloating and diarrhea and, um, you know, night sweats and irritability and anxiety and not being able to go out into public because of the social anxiety was so bad. Mm. Sensitivity to chemical smells and light and sound. So my nervous system was just so irritated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and just a lot of immune dysregulation, um, 
being diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and um, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my HPA access was completely, you know, off and all my hormones were all over the place. Actually, my sex hormones were tanked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my cortisol was through the roof for a while and then right. it tanked. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and I just couldn't even handle any type of stress, any, um, any type of stressful conversation, um, any type of, you know, stress in the way of exercise mm-hmm. or, um, you know, too much on my plate. None of that. I couldn't handle any of it. It would send me over the edge. Right. And so eventually I got to a place, you know, this is a long story short, but um, it took me a long time to come to that decision and belief and trust that my intuition about my breast implants was right. Mm-hmm. And to take that leap of faith and decide to have my breast implants removed. It took me five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to make yeah. that decision yeah from the time where I thought maybe and uh, you know maybe this is possible um because there was no information online at that right. point right no one was talking about this right um to deciding and the reason what really made me um confident in making that decision was my um struggle with fertility mm. and not being able to conceive okay. and just thinking in my mind you know that this you know, if these implants are the root cause or a big root cause, and they're causing all of this dysregulation for me, then what's going to happen if I do get pregnant, you know, right. with the growth of a baby and right. breastfeeding and all of that transfer that happens. Right. Um, and I just wasn't willing to continue down this path and take that risk. And it was a, it was, you know, I really do feel that God was pursuing me in my pain. Um, and really led me down that path and just, you know, giving me that confidence and faith to make that choice. And so when I finally made the choice, it was like two months later, they were out, (laughs) you know, and I, I had never looked back. I I couldn't be happier with that decision. Ah, and, and what a blessing, you know, to go through that and have such a huge impact on your life and then be able to turn around and make it your life's purpose and passion, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to to let, you know, give that hand backwards and say, here, let me help you and Mm -hmm. identifying what, what might be, what might be a possibility for you as well. Absolutely, Um, Sarah, I love your story and I love sharing and I, and I'm so thankful that you're open to discuss that. And do you feel like just one last question I have, and then I'll, I'll give the floor to you that it was such a difficult decision. You said five years you know, is it that the body image playing such a huge role, not necessarily that there wasn't information out there, but just that getting over the, you know, how, how am I, how am I going to perceive myself and my worth? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a really, um, long journey and a great journey, actually. Um, just, coming from a place of really only caring about the physical aspect um, to really discovering who I am, you know, yeah. who I am beyond my physical body. Yeah. Um, and that was really, that was a journey. And um, I've learned so much about myself and I'm, I've, I've never had more confidence in myself than I do now. And it has nothing to do, to do with the way that I look. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I it love really it. is about who I am. And that also, you know, a big part of that, um, that plays into who I am is my faith. So, yeah. you know, there's, we're more than physical beings. We're spiritual mm-hmm. beings. 
mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so it just, it just took me some time to really grow and develop that side of myself. Yeah. It's, it's truly one thing that I recognize, especially over the last several years is when I'm working with people who are like you, who, who know who you are, you know, inside your heart, your mind, you know, you know who you are and it's not wrapped around physical, but your physical is just radiating that. And yeah. Yeah. And it does, you know, when we get healthy from the inside out, we can't help but to have that radiance in the physical aspect as well. Absolutely. It is incredible how like the difference in my appearance and just my skin and everything um, from the point of when I explanted to you know, now through two and a half years later, it's such a difference because I, a lot of my mental, emotional, spiritual work occurred during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was more, it was mental, emotional detox on on top of the the chemical, physical, um, heavy metal detox as well. Right. Um, But, but all of that combines just, gosh, it's amazing how much more you feel so vibrant and full of life and you radiate that life. Absolutely. So Sarah, any final things that you want to leave um, the, those who are listening, you know, if there's anything that you can wrap this up with? Yeah, the, the point that I always want people to understand who are either learning about this for the first time or who maybe have explanted and don't feel better right. is that it's about more than the explant. So the explant is really step one of Mm -hmm. getting your health back. And there is still far more work that needs to be done after that. Um, It's like getting the amalgam fillings out of your mouth incorrectly and then never doing any detox work. The mercury is still in the brain, you know, Um, and it hasn't, it doesn't just magically remove itself. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. um, And there, there is, there is a mental emotional side to it that needs attention as well. It's not just about the physical body. And I think that's, that's a huge um, area that people are not paying enough attention to. And then I, and then I also would hope that, you know, if nothing else that my, that people would learn from my story, um, to not wait like I did (laughs) because I waited so long, honestly, you know, I didn't really share all of my story, but Mm -hmm. the um, effect of me waiting so long was that I did need to go back and have another surgery afterward and have body parts removed that were so far gone and damaged there was just no coming back from that. Mm. And so that's what I hope people will do, will, will get from this is don't wait, like <laughs> get started right now, take action and make a decision and trust that, you know, your intuition is likely correct. <laughs> that's all for this episode of the Toxin Terminator. And we hope we've helped you remove the hidden toxins in your life for renewed health. If you're looking to continue your journey towards full rejuvenation, reach out to Amy directly by visiting amycarlson.com for your own one-on-one chat session, as well as your free toxic risk assessment. That's A-I-M-E-E carlson.com. And remember, you are just one small change away from renewed health.